All right, so let's get to this. We are in the very last week of our series, Six Truths. All right, so this is a, a series, obviously we've been in for the last six weeks, six statements, six truths that we believe will pull us out of some of those lies that we've bought into and allow us, free us up to be able to experience the life that God has for us. All right, that that is living. That's what God has for us and what God wants. And uh, didn't the seniors do a great job? If you guys were here. They are, senior nights hands down are my favorite nights. And not just because I don't have to speak, but because I love, I love watching seniors get up on this stage and owning their faith and speaking truth to you and encouraging you and just pouring out their heart and wanting you to experience the life that Jesus has just like they are experiencing. And so I think every, man, for last week, so, uh, so proud of the seniors that got up here, did a, a great job. And so last week, they, um, they tried to expose some of the lies that we've bought into. All right, the lies like God doesn't love me or God's love for me has limits or that God is done with me or that God could never accomplish something through me. Those things that sometimes we believe. And the truth that they shared that hopefully was, was an encouragement to you last week was that God's love for me will never end and his work in me will never stop. That God's love for me is unending. It has no limits. It has no boundaries. That God does not give up on us. And that God is working in us. If we are followers of Jesus, God is always working in us. For what purpose? To make us more like him. That's what God wants to accomplish in all of us. Is he wants, at the end of our lives, he wants us to look like him. And so because of that, God is always, every single day, working in our lives and moving and shaping circumstances and working situations and teaching us things so that we become more like Jesus. Now, i got to be honest. As I was sitting in the back of the room last week and, and listening to the seniors talk and, and things like that and doing a great job of presenting truth, one of the questions that popped into my head that I, I thought, man, I wonder if there are students in the room who who are, are, are having this question, or maybe who are wrestling with this thought right now. And the thought is, all right, God's love for me doesn't end. God will never give up on me. You know, God, God loves me no matter what. So if that's the case, why does it matter how I live? Why can't I just do whatever I want to do? I mean, if God's going to forgive me anyway, then why, why can't I just be freed up to do whatever I want and knowing that I can always receive God's love and God's forgiveness and then continue to do what I want because God's love has no limits. And maybe even we've gone to the point, some of us that have thought this thought, I feel like when I do what I want to do, I have more freedom. And maybe even I would say it makes me feel more alive. So tonight we're going to talk a lot about death and life. All right, if that's cool. And uh, it's Halloween and you, know, you guys are thinking about, you know, what you're going to dress up as, a pumpkin or something, whatever you're going to be. Uh, or, or you're just, you're in death mode, right? You're thinking about death and, you know, we've got death on the, on the stage. And so we're going to talk about death and life tonight, all right, if that's cool. So as we do that, the interesting thing is, is that the Bible talks a lot about death and life. The Bible talks a lot about the things that lead to our um, our death or 
um, cause us to be enslaved and things like that. And talks a lot about those things that provide freedom, alive, and victory, and joy to describe our life when we pursue Jesus. And then the Bible uses words like slavery and dead and empty to describe our life when we choose to pursue sin. So there is a, a clear divide here. So for some of us in the room that think, you know what, I can, I can love Jesus and I can receive his forgiveness and I can come to church and I can participate in these kind of things, but I also can have like my freedom. I also can do my thing and live my life and have fun and experience what the world has to offer and, and feel like the, the two kind of blend together. But then when, when you see what the Bible says and what it talks about, the truth is that those two things are, couldn't be further apart. I mean, to, to use words like dead and alive, those are, those are polar opposites. And sometimes what we want to try to do is we want to blend the two together and say, yeah, I can still do this, but I also can enjoy this, and I, and I feel like there's, there's kind of, I feel okay with that. And, and maybe when we hear that, that God's love for me will never end, then maybe that sort of, in our mind, justifies that mindset and that belief. But the truth is, someone who is dead and someone who is alive, again, those are polar opposites. So why is it sometimes that we confuse the two together? Why is it that it seems like it's so confusing for us sometimes as to whether or not we're living as someone who is dead spiritually or alive spiritually? Why is there so much confusion when those two things seem to be in such opposition? There are, the reason I think that that's the case is because the enemy is so good at what he does. I mean really, really good. Like the enemy he, he's a professional, all right? He knows what in the world he's doing. And when, when he is called the father of lies, that's, the reason is because he's, he's figured out a really great way to do it. There's no one that can match him in terms of lies and deceit. And what he, the reason he is so good is he can present things to us as things that satisfy us and things that make us happy and things that add satisfaction and fulfillment into our lives that really do the exact opposite. And he is, he is so good at what he does that he can make freedom in Christ look like it enslaves us while making the things that enslave us look like they give us freedom. I mean, how many of you have ever had that thought, man, serving God just feels boring and it feels like, you know, I don't, I don't have any freedom and... You know, it, just, it doesn't feel like a lot of fun, and I don't, I don't enjoy that type of life. It doesn't seem like it's going to satisfy me. Because the enemy has convinced us to switch the two, and those things that actually enslave us, we feel like it gives us freedom. Or those things that actually lead to death, those things that, that kill us, he makes them look like they give us life. And those things that in reality give us life, he makes it look like they steal, kill, and destroy So tonight, if you've ever thought that doing what you want and living in sin is actually freedom and that a relationship with Jesus means that you don't experience any freedom or any joy or any significance, then I would just say congratulations because you have been deceived by the enemy. And I don't say that in a way to make you feel like an idiot um, because the truth is I've, I've been deceived a lot of times by the enemy. I've bought into those same lies. I believe those same things. 
And I've thought, you know what, God, yeah, if, if, if I hang on to this thing, like, God, you can have these other things, but I, I really, really, really want to hold on to this. I feel like if I do things my way here, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to make me more satisfied or happier. It's going to lead to a more significant life. And so we believe that lie all the time, that if, if we hang on to it, rather than turn it over to God, rather than live the way that God wants us to live, that it actually is going to make us happier. And the truth is, it does the opposite of that. When an inmate walks down death row, and they are walking to their death, there are officers that would scream out as they're walking down, dead man walking. You guys ever heard that? They would scream out, dead man walking, dead man walking. And what that would signify is that that man who is walking down death row or whatever is heading towards the end of his life. That even though right now in that moment, technically he's alive, that he really actually is dead because of what's about to take place. So they would scream out ahead of him as he was walking down, dead man walking, just to let everybody know that death was near for that individual. And I wonder for for how many of us, we live that same way. That in reality, we, we walk around alive, but in a lot of ways, in the way that we live our life, it's as if we're dead because we're not experiencing the freedom that Jesus offers us. So what I want to do over the next few minutes is, is kind of give two symbols. All right, so the first symbol tonight is a grave. All right? Now, I don't, I don't know that there is anything scarier than a graveyard. How many of you guys have ever walked in a graveyard at night? You bunch of freaks. So... All right, so you guys are so brave. Look at you. Nothing scares you. So maybe at Halloween, it's like, hey, guys, you know, or you get guys together, especially, and guys just do stupid things, go to the graveyard and run over, you know, run through the graveyard and act like idiots, right? And so what do guys do? We, we go run through the graveyard. Um, or you did that. Maybe you're on a date and, you know, that the person's like, hey, that was a lovely dinner. You guys, you want to go check out the graveyard nearby? I don't know what that looked like for you. But for me, there's something about a graveyard, especially at night. When you're there in the day or whatever, it's not, not a big deal. But at night, it's different. Especially when it's a full moon or when there's, it's a foggy night or whatever. It's just, it's weird. And no matter how many people you're with or whatever, it's always as you're walking through, you're like, man, what if? Like, what if somebody just popped up out of that ground right now? I would wet myself. There's something scary about it. So when, when I was in college at Liberty, we had this, we had this haunted house. It was called Scaremare. And, uh, and there were, we took a, a um, group of upperclassmen last year, and we, and we went over there. And here's, here's what it looks like, all right? So it, it basically was a death house that we put together every year, college students in, over the month of October, would put on this haunted house called Scaremare. And there would be people from all over the area that would drive just to get the crap scared out of them at this place. 
And for me, I loved it. Because I got a chance to scare the crap out of people. And that was a lot of fun for me. So for several years in college, I would, I would work in this, this haunted house. And I did a lot of different things. But the thing that I loved the most was being a guide. And what the guide would do is he would, he would greet the people at the very beginning, uh, that, that first tent, right as they're waiting in line. And he would you know, rip back the curtain and scare them. And then he lead them slowly through this, uh, this kind of wooded area. All right, and it was, I mean, you could make it as creepy as you wanted it to be. And so you could go as slow, and you could make facial expressions, and, and I mean, it was, it was fun, man, it was fun. I want to go back to those days. So we would, we would lead people through the woods, and as you came to the end of the woods, you, there would be this clearing, and, and the house right here would be in front of you. But before they would go into the house, they had to pass through this graveyard. And I have watched people over those years lose their ever-loving mind in this area in particular. I have had grown ladies slap me in the face as hard as they possibly can. I have had big football players spit in my face because they were terrified of what was about to take place. I have had stuff thrown at me. I have been kicked I've been screamed all kind of obscenities, and I loved every minute of it because I knew that they were scared to death. And it was always at this point right here. There was something about that graveyard that freaked them out. And they were tripping, and they would, there were people, there were people that literally, I I promise you, would get to this point right here and start walking through the graveyard and go, you know what, I'm done. I'm done, I'm done. Like, all right, stop. Hey, dude, seriously, stop scaring me right now. Where's the exit? Tell me how to get out of here. I mean, these are grown people who are just throwing up their hands going, I am not going into that house. You can keep your money. I don't care what happens, but you need to show me the nearest exit because there's no way I'm walking through that house. There's something about graveyards that freak us out. Now, here's the crazy thing about graveyards, is that there is is a lot of symbolism that a grave has to our life before we come to know Jesus. So, for you and I, the Bible describes us that that when we're born, we are born dead spiritually. You and I are born dead spiritually. It's just, our, our home is the graveyard. All right, that's how we're born spiritually. We are dead in our sins. And what that basically means is that our sin separates us from God. There is the sin that's in our lives, and all of us have it. None of us are exempt from it. We have sin in our lives, and that sin separates us from a holy God. And it has caused our spiritual lives to be dead. Here's and I are like a person buried in the ground, all right, when we start out. Not a good picture at all. Here's what Ephesians 2 verse 1 says. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. So that's where all of us begin. We're buried in the ground because of our sin. But an amazing thing happens to us. When you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Savior, it's as if God comes over to our home, our grave, 
and he takes our bones and he puts them together and then he puts flesh on them and then he breathes life into us and he makes us alive. Which if we physically saw that happen would be an unbelievable sight. But that's what the Bible describes as what happens to us when we trust Jesus as our Savior. That God comes over here and he takes our dead bones and he puts them together and he breathes life into us and you and I are now alive. And now you and I who once were dead and, and, and that was our home, now are freed up and we are alive to pursue Jesus and to live the way that we were originally created to live. God's original purpose, the the original intent that he had for our lives. And now we get to live every single day free to do what's right and to love Jesus. So everything seems good, right? We went from death to life. God's breathed life into us. We're now alive. But there is something that's stirring in that grave that used to be our home. There's something that's going on beneath the surface. That old life of sin, that old life that used to be who we are, that old life of sin wants us back. And even though that life of sin has been defeated because Jesus has raised us to life and given us new life, that old life of sin is not giving up on us. And it will do everything anything and everything that it can possibly do to pull us back into our old life of sin what's the um what's the cardinal rule when you go through a haunted house what's the one thing they can't do to you they can't touch you here's the thing when you're walking through a haunted house and you're you know you see scream guy or you see the clown or you see whatever you see and you're like, all right, that's scary, don't do that again, whatever. But in your mind, you're like, man, they can't touch me, this is, this is all just pretend, this is make-believe, I'm going to go home at the end of the night, everything's going to be okay, right? But man, when, if they touch you, if they put their hands on you, all of a sudden, that changes things. Like, dude, you can't touch me, what are you doing now? Man, is this not a joke anymore? Is this serious? Like, what's going on here? And then all of a sudden, you're ready to fight, or you're ready to, to hit somebody. Right? The game changes when they touch you. And here's the crazy thing about this old life of sin. This old life of sin is not playing a game with us. It's not make-believe. It's not like, oh, hey, you know, this is, we're just having a good time here. This isn't a big deal. That old life of sin will do anything and everything that it can. It will grab us. It will do whatever it can because it wants to pull us back into our old life of sin. It wants to pull us back into that old life. It wants to defeat us and to enslave us again like we once were. And it will do whatever it can possibly do to pull us back so that we lose the freedom that Jesus has offered us. Here's the crazy thing. When we allow... When we have that mindset of going, you know, it doesn't really matter how I live, I can do what I want, and we kind of go back to that life, and we're like, yeah, I've been freed from that, but I, I really enjoy those things. Like, it gives me pleasure, it gives me satisfaction, and we, we say, you know what, it's not really that big of a deal. And all of a sudden, we kind of get a little bit closer and a little bit closer, and that old life of sin, man, it wants us back, and it's pulling us back. 
Have you ever watched, how crazy would it be if someone, a dead guy, was brought to life and started walking around and then went, you know what? I'd actually would much rather prefer to be dead. So life thing is a little bit overrated. I, you know what? I'm just going to go back to my old life and I'm just going to go back into the ground and just be dead. Like how crazy would that be? It wouldn't make any sense. And yet for a lot of us, when we choose to go back to that life, that's exactly what's taking place. Old life is going to give for making me alive and thank you for setting me free. But in reality, I feel like this old life is going to give me a whole lot more freedom. When in reality, all it wants to do is pull us back into the ground that Jesus has freed us from. Here's a few verses that back up this symbol. If you guys want to write these down, this would be great. Colossians 3, 3, 5, and 7. So put to death the sinful, evil things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. Romans 6, 11-13. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. The last verse, Galatians 6, 8, it says, Those who live only to satisfy their, their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So the truth is that symbol of death and being alive, us living in sin doesn't lead to freedom and to feeling alive. It rather leads to death and decay. And it's only when we live in freedom the way that Jesus has created us to do we really experience that abundant life that God's meant for us to experience. Here's the second symbol. Not only is there a grave, but another symbol that really helps kind of paint a picture of this is the cross. Now, a lot of times when when we see the symbol of the cross, it is a symbol of God's love for us. All right, and rightfully so, all right? That should be something that we think about and we look at that and we go, man, that represents God's love and God's sacrifice for us. And, and that's, that should be true. We should look at this and go, man, God, you paid a great price for me. You loved me enough that you gave up heaven and you came and you, you paid my death. You, your death was my death. And you took on my sin and my punishment and what I deserved and you took that on so that I could receive forgiveness and freedom. So the cross should be a symbol of God's love. But there's something else that I think God's, the cross should be a symbol of. I think the cross should also be a symbol of the death of our old life. Is it God's love? Yes, it absolutely is God's love. But it also, we should look at the cross and say, that is a symbol, that is a representation of the old me 
before I knew Jesus, that life of sin being crucified to that cross. Because what happens when you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus as Savior is we take that old life and we nail that life to the cross. That life of sin, that life that used to control us, that used to have its way in our life, that old life of sin has been crucified. And you think about something that has been nailed to the cross. It was, it was utter public humiliation. It was, hey, look at this thing that's hanging on the cross, how humiliated it is. It has no power. It can do nothing other than just hang up there and be a public spectacle. Which makes it so crazy that that's the type of death that Jesus died. That God the creator subjected himself to public humiliation for for Jesus just to hang there for every Joe Blow to walk by and just see and go, man, isn't that supposed to be God? And he's just hanging up there with no power, no authority. Like he's just hanging for all the world to see that he's just been humiliated. And that's what Jesus wants this the cross to be a symbol of for us that old life has been nailed to the cross and it has no power and we're to look at that old life and go you have been humiliated you have no power over me you have no authority over me because of Jesus's death and resurrection I am nailing that old life to the cross and Jesus has made me free and I'm now looking at that and going you're a disgrace You have no control over me. You can't tell me what to do. You have no power or authority over me any longer. I have been freed to to live for Jesus and to honor him. And there's nothing that you can do about it. How unbelievably powerful is that when we understand that's what our old life should look like? Here's a few verses that back up this picture and this symbol. Romans 6, 6, and 7 says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Galatians 5, 24 and 25, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross, and they've crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And here's probably my favorite, Galatians two twenty. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I wonder how much freedom you and I would begin to experience if we started looking at the cross not only as a symbol of God's love, but as a symbol of the death of our old life. To look at sin in that way of going, I don't don't have to do what you want anymore. 
I used to not have any control. I used to have to do that. That used to describe my life, but that has, that has been crucified. You've been humiliated. You've been defeated, and I am now living free, and I can do what I want as I pursue Jesus. I am free to pursue him with everything that I've got. See, when you put it in that perspective, whether it be from death to life or whether it be being crucified, why would we go back to that old life? For us to say, you know what, Jesus loves me and his love never ends and never fails and he'll love me regardless, so can I really do whatever I want? Yeah, you can, but why would you go back to that? And when we choose to go back to that life, what we do is we take that life of sin and we pull it off the cross and we put it back on ourselves and we go, you know what, I actually enjoy this. I like this. Like this feels good to me. And even if you want to take a step further, what we do is we pull that old life off the cross and we put it back on and then we take Jesus and we put him back on the cross. And we say, man, Jesus, thanks for what you've done, but... And in reality, I enjoy this old life a whole lot better than the life that you gave up your life to provide for me. How crazy is that? But true freedom involves allowing Jesus' death and Jesus' life to give us life, to change not only who we used to be, but also changes the way that we live going forward. See, true freedom involves that picture of a cross and a grave, of Jesus taking on our sins and offering forgiveness because he took on our punishment and then defeating sin and death in us because he rose back from the grave. And now all of a sudden, because of what Jesus has done, we can now experience freedom and life and we can live fully alive because of what Jesus has done for us. And every single day going forward, what Jesus wants for us to do is to get up in the morning and say, sin, you have no power over me. You have no authority over me. I am dying to that old life. I'm nailing it to the cross And now today, I'm going to allow Jesus to live through me and to make me fully alive. I am truly alive when I die to sin, not live in it. I am fully alive when I die to sin, not live in it. For some of you in the room tonight, you experiencing that life that Jesus offers starts at the grave. As we talked about a few minutes ago of you right now in your present state because you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior. This is a picture of what your life is spiritually. Of you being dead in your sins. And for you to admit that Jesus, admit admit that you're a sinner and believe and confess that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus gave up his life for you, then what can happen for you tonight is Jesus takes those dry bones and he puts flesh on them and he breathes life into you and you become alive spiritually. 
And for you to take that step is as easy as you sitting in that chair tonight and saying, God, I admit that that my sin separates me from you. I admit that that's where I'm at and I need you to make me alive. And I'm trusting that what Jesus did for me on the cross was enough to pay that penalty of my sin and that you can breathe life into me. For you to go right after this and talk to your small group leader about what that looks like and let them walk you through what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. But for the rest of us, that have already put our faith and trust in Jesus as Savior, we need to start looking at this as a symbol of our old life of sin. It has no power. It has no authority unless we give it power and authority. Unless we go back to it and pull it off the cross and put it back on and allow that old life to control us once again. But we don't have to. Jesus has made us alive and offers a better life than that old life. So during this series, we've, we've tried to, to, to present those six truths. To be able to talk through some of the lies that we've bought into. To talk about some of those things that we've believed that, that the enemy has deceived us with. And, and to be able to present truth so that we may begin to experience that life that Jesus wants for us. I was created with purpose and significance. I don't need to fear because God is with me and for me. That God is more interested in my obedience than my happiness. This world is not my home and it has nothing for me. God's love for me will never end and his work in me will never stop. And I am truly alive when I die to sin, not live in it. And it's time for you and I to stop buying into those lies and believing those things and start living in the truth of who Jesus is and who he says we are and the life that he has for us. God, thank you for the life and the freedom that you offer. God, it is so easy sometimes because of the things that the world offers us and because how they're presented to us, we feel like they lead to joy, or we feel like they lead to significance, or we feel like they make our lives better. If we hang on to our lives, if we do what we want, if we have control. And yet the truth is, all those things do is they pull us back into that old life of sin that you have freed us from. And we experience true freedom when we chase after you, when we pursue you, when we make you the thing that we desire and we pursue you and in truth. And so God, I pray for students in the room tonight who maybe have never trusted you as Savior. God, I pray that maybe, God, you would allow these pictures to sink in for them to understand what it looks like to have a relationship with you and that tonight they would take that step and allow you to breathe life into them and for them to experience forgiveness and freedom from their sin. God, I pray for those of us who have already done that, that we would stop looking at our old life and allow that to tempt us, allow that to draw us back in, allow that to grab hold of us and for us to give power back to that old life that just leads to death and decay and destruction. But God, you have freed us, you've given up your life so that we may pursue you and be free to do it. And so God, may we live in that freedom and chase after you and experience the abundant life 
that you offer for us. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.